What up, peeps? Top of the hour, 1 p.m. Actually, 101 p.m. That's my fault, as it typically is. Swizz here. In literally nine seconds, I'm going to be joined by the great Carter Braxton Worth. This is Market Call. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are, in fact, powered by tomorrow. And we're powered, Carter, by Open Exchange. Now, Carter, come on in. But before you start to chat, I have to address what happened, what transpired over this weekend. Obviously, the Yankees traveled to St. Louis for the first time in, I think, 10 years and were uh, unceremoniously swept by the now first place St. Louis Cardinals. You know, I am concerned a wee bit, but as you know, it's August. That's letter Q for you guys playing our home game. I will be far more concerned in late September. I just needed to get that out of the way. Kudos to you Met fans out there who took four of five from the Braves, and Jake DeGrom looked like combination of Sandy Koufax and Bob Gibson. I can do this, by the way, because Dan is still on vacation, and he's not shushing me. Well, uh, I, I can what's do going on here, Carter? I, I How can, are you? I can do this. Well, we have a late start, probably because these things were on your mind. They were you, on my mind. You needed to get it out now, but it's all good. So lots of moving parts, as always. Lots of moving parts. And let's talk about the market because, you know, I've mentioned a couple times a year, more than a couple, a few times a year, you get these days where you sort of want to pin them, right? You want to sort of put a bookmark on it. And today is shaping up as, I think, as one of those days. Obviously, we've had a pretty tremendous rally in the S&P, and we can look at the chart from that 3630 level. You thought we could overshoot to 4200 and the charts say exactly that. I mean, if you look at it, and it's your want to say, to the penny in terms of the 150-day moving average. Yes, I mean, it's a big move. I, I'm in the faded camp for you know several sessions now. It has gone higher, but ultimately, it just doesn't have the oomph. I mean, here, here's what it is. There's latent potential, and then there's expenditure of energy. Once you've used the potential, the potential to bounce, 20% in many stocks, 30, that potential is gone. And so the market, it's a lot of weeks, the low being June 16th or 17th, depending on which aggregate or index you look at. Here we are, the 8th of August. It just doesn't have anything left in it. Now, it either goes sideways, I would think, or down, but we can eliminate one of the scenarios, which is just higher, higher, higher still. I mean, if you, I'm sorry, but if you look at this, and again, that 150-day moving average, that proved to be an tr- uptrend line for the longest time. Obviously, when it started to roll over, we addressed it. We obviously had that move up to it a few months ago, failed. We, we overshot it a little bit, and we have a similar move now. I mean, I would submit, given this not historic move, but very violent move off the bottom since June 15th, we're set up for that as well. And we have a question from Michael. Love when CBW is in the house. I'm reading, by the way, which is my eyes are looking down. During this big bounce, how has volume been, and does that tell us anything? Also, Carter, what do you see, think we see first? S&P 4,500 or S&P 3,500? Thanks, gentlemen. I think I know the answer. I'll let you do it, though. Well, let's start with the last thing first. That's not the midpoint, right? Not to say that everyone's entitled to pick their levels, but 3,500 is a long way down relative to 4,500, mm-hmm. which is not that much above. I'm in the camp that you, again, fade this, and therefore I'd rather be playing for 3,500 or maybe it's 38. Or even if it's just back to 4,000, you have to decide at any given time, are you basically overweight or underweight? Are you in or are you out? Are you long or you're short? And after a move like this, I think the short side is. Now, as to volume, remember, of course, volume is always heaviest 
on down moves, always. Mm -hmm. Because when people buy in principle, I'm not talking about when something gaps up on earnings, right? Or has a big newsprint or whatever. But in general, if you look at any aggregate, SPY or IWM or QQQ, volume on down days is always heavier typically than on up days. And there's a reason, it's very straightforward and here it is. When people buy, they buy sort of begrudgingly. They have a price in their mind that it, the stock or index moves away from, oh, okay, I'll only do a little bit. Maybe it'll come in. Oh, all right, well, fine, I'll add a little more. But when it's going down, people say, get me the, out. Mm -hmm. And they sell regardless of price. So the volume is decent, but it will never be this, what it is when you see a down move. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the rest of the day. If we excel, again, I'm just throwing this out there, but if we start to accelerate to the downside, if that volume picks up, given the run we've had over almost the last two months, I think today's final couple hours is going to be fascinating. And I think they could sort of set the tone for the next couple months. We'll see. What has been interesting to me, and we flagged this earlier, has been the outperformance of specifically Goldman Sachs compared to some of these larger money center banks. And you have a beautiful chart that we, in the purple or the fuchsia, whatever color that is, that's Goldman Sachs. That's the outperformance relative to a Bank of America, I believe, and a JP Morgan. And I'm not sure what that says. I will tell you that in the earnings, one of the things that I've been saying here on Market Call and on Fast Money is that I thought Goldman could trade their way out of things. In other words, I thought their quota would be strong based on what we were seeing in the markets. And that's proven to be correct. But I guess my question to you is twofold. What does this tell you, if anything? And, you know, is it a cautionary tale for the broader market? It says a lot of things. And I think the main thing it says, and there's sort of no way around this, Goldman Sachs is a broker dealer, right? And they are earning their living through commissions, but also fees and asset management. But big so-called, used to be called money center banks are lenders. And if and as things are slowing and or we are headed into a real recession, not the sort of topical one of two quarters down, but a real one where you have real contraction. The one thing that is always true is you start to get credit issues, right? And so the banks have to increase their charge-offs as basically defaults rise. And so this spread invariably is depicting that. Goldman doesn't have that, quote, issue, at least not to the extent that Bank of America or J.P. Morgan. It's going to be interesting for me to see, you know, how is this going to resolve itself? Is Goldman going to sell off and sort of, you know, get back down to where the banks are? Or are the banks going to catch up to Goldman Sachs? My sense is it's not going to be a combination of the two. I think at a certain point, people are going to sell Goldman Sachs on similar broader market concerns. But the outperformance over the last, you know, month and a half, two months has been something I think you have to watch. And the fact in my world that JP Morgan specifically on a broader market tape that's done extraordinarily well, again, over the last almost two months, has really gone nowhere. I think the 52-week low was 106. I think we're trading 114. I mean, that's a pretty paltry rally. And again, under the backdrop of a stock that came off significantly from the fall. So it's just something to keep in mind. Amanda, who does an amazing job, she likes to, what do they call it when you cut and paste? I think they call that cut and paste. Well, she did it with this Bloomberg headline, and it's really interesting. NASDAQ big surge belies a darker outlook for tech profits. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. We're going to talk about NVIDIA in a second. But, you know, there are a lot of warning signs here. And Carter, real quick, before you opine and look at the Q's chart, which is very similar to the S&P, you look at Microsoft earnings, for example. And I bring this up. I brought it up before. But it's important. 
Microsoft closed the day they reported around 254 or thereabouts. The knee-jerk reaction to that earnings release was to take it down to about 242. Understanding that this is just machine-generated, I get it, but you understand what my point is. The only reason it rallied subsequent was because they said they were really seeing no drop-off in demand. And the Apple quarter that everybody thought was so great was okay. I've seen much better Apple quarters, yet it rallied significantly on 2% year-over-year revenue growth, which is something we haven't seen in Apple in many, many years, if not ever. So the question to you is exactly that. I mean, these stocks have rallied, but is there something more sinister going on? And I think the chart suggests exactly that. Yes, I mean, we know that there's often a reason why a security, not always, sometimes it is just money flow and so forth, but it's the relief in rates, right? The so-called, well, if interest rates aren't going to be going to four and five, I can then use a different discount rate and I can make different assumptions about what I will pay for a future stream of earnings. And so we know that when 10-year yields came off from 3.5 to essentially 2.5, you get the lift in these big names. But independent of that, and that's one reason the banks, the big heavy banks have not performed well versus Goldman because of the net interest margin. But at this point, we're seeing the same picture, big moves, all returning stocks to difficult levels where in principle, overhead supply comes into play. Well, let's take a look at the cues because you have the chart that suggests exactly that. And it's going to look hauntingly similar to what we just saw in the S&P. This one actually, to me, is even more sort of stark in terms of you could see the downtrend line if your eyes allows you to from the high, that second high, and now where we are now. The 150-day moving average rolling over, trading right back to the 150 the same way we did, I think, in April or thereabouts. I mean, if, you, if you're into pattern recognition, I think this speaks volumes, Carter. Uh, and it also invokes that phrase, to the penny. I mean, literally, the QQQs has touched the damn line. And if you put the 200 in here, which is fun, it doesn't touch it once. There's a reason why certain tools are used. The 150 day is very important. And literally, the Qs are right there, the tech sector itself. So does it have to then crash as it did in March and make new lows? No. But on the first approach to downward sloping moving average, whichever one you're going to use, but I would say use the 150, it's a better sale than a buy, regardless whether it's a stock, a currency, a commodity, or an index. Now, what's interesting here, and I want you to sort of speak to this, people think you guys are always negative. First of all, that's not true. You know, you go back, I know you were saying it, I was saying it, Dan, as well. Middle of June, we said, you know what, the setup is really good here for stocks. But I mentioned this because conversely, if you look at when the market was trading higher, look how many times it traded off and stopped on the downside of the 150-day moving average and then subsequently bounced. My eye sees at least three times where we traded down and then bounced. So it stands to reason if it works on the way up when the moving average are sloping higher, it will work on the way down. And that's not bias. That's just, again, looking at this chart that you drew. Right. Or even if we took out the moving average, the moving average helps the eye try to identify where a counter trend move stops. So when you're in a bull phase, you're advancing, those sell-offs are counter trend moves. Whether you call it a dip or decline, a sell-off, it doesn't matter. But counter-trend moves stop typically at trend. We use the moving average to measure that. And when once you're in a downtrend, of course, we've been in a downtrend since Gen 4, it's mm-hmm. the same thing in reverse. Counter-trend moves are up and counter-trend moves stop typically at trend. 
difference, of course, being it's emotion, right? It's behavioral economics. People always want to be the ones that call the bottom and their fear of missing out on the upside, which is why I think some of these counter trend rallies are so violent. Again, we're going to see how this plays out. Again, I'll mention I think today's an important day. It's also an important day because of what NVIDIA said. And you you talk about slashing guidance. This is a significant. They went from $8.1 billion down to $6.7 billion. I mean, that is a significant slashing in second quarter revenue. Again, I don't know if the market sold the stock off enough yet, to be honest with you. And it's not just NVIDIA. Now, we've seen this from a number of different companies in a number of different sectors. And I think it sort of portends or augurs some difficulties moving forward. So I don't want to harp on NVIDIA necessarily, but this is not an insignificant company. It's obviously a huge company that everybody seems to watch. And again, when they're raising guidance and everybody gets all happy and exercised on the upside, everybody thinks everything is great. Well, the same should be true here. Now, that trend line you drew is really interesting Question is, do we break this trend line? And if, in fact, we do, what happens? Right. So that's a heck of a trend line, which you can see and how well NVIDIA has responded to it. But the question is, ultimately, having come down to this extent, that's a 60% decline to that trend line. And having bounced, the bounce, the counter trend move couldn't even get up to the 150 moving average, not shown here, and is faltering. It's at one point top 10 market cap stocks and... There's a message here. There's a message for semis overall. Right? Mm-hmm. We know there are ones like Intel not doing well and ones that are. But overall, semis have bounced a lot, and uh, the risk is to the downside. NVIDIA is telling us a story. Well, you have another chart in NVIDIA as well that I think will show where we traded up to off this recent bounce and where we seemingly have stalled. So again, shorter time frame, just to sort of you look at it in terms of your eyes, past support becomes resistance. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. It's a huge move, right? And you go back to, and think about it, you can, one, listen, for 30 years, all my professional life people say, well, you could draw the line this way. Of course you can, just as you can decide fundamentally, is it worth seven times free cash flow or nine, or maybe only two. But the point is, you have to have some place to make your judgments, some rules. And what we know is, Counter trend moves, once you're in a downtrend, at some point peter out. Why? Because people who lost money, having had money returned to them, they say, well, I should grab this. This is a lot of money that I did lose on paper that I've recouped. And then two, people who nail the bottom, dumb luck or brilliance. When you get a move like this, 30 something percent, they say, I should book this. I know how treacherous investing is. This is a freebie, let me grab it. And all of that represents overhead supply. Greg Cook asks, and that AMD chart you brought last week, I want to say Monday, that downtrend to the penny. And the first time up, the knee-jerk reaction was to stop exactly on that downtrend line. So Greg asks, has your AMD level changed with this morning's NVIDIA news? If so, what level on the downside for both, please? We just talked about NVIDIA. What are your thoughts on AMD? Because it could be one of those false breakouts. We're going to look at the socks in a second, but quickly thoughts on AMD. Right. So we, I think we've got some charts here. What we know is if you looked at the arithmetic scale, AMD did rally through the downtrend line, but you'll see on the log scale that it stops to the penny. I'm still a seller of AMD, meaning a big move, and it is now faltering, whether it's faltering because of NVIDIA or because it too has come too far too fast. I think you're, you're better to sell than to buy. 
I agree. And look at this. Take a look at the Sox again. We fool around with this Philadelphia Semiconductor Index. I mean, I God only knows. I mean, you know, Philadelphia makes a lot of things. Semiconductors not being one of them, but whatever. Here we are, and and you're going to draw some lines for us. But speak here because again, looks hauntingly similar to some of the other charts that we've looked at. What are your thoughts here? So it's 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 hauntingly similar because remember, an aggregate doesn't exist, right? The individual stocks move up and down, and then the index is a concomitant or a price action. Let me do this, put the line in. There's the arithmetic line. What did we do? If you see this iteration, we moved above it, but put the log scale. Now look at this. If you do it log, we never did, which is one could say, okay, so which one is it? That's the point. It's a work in progress. You're always mm-hmm. moving and adjusting. Just as a fundamentalist raised there, you were keeping it as a Bible, we're lowering our price target. I do it all the time. You have to sort of learn, move, adjust as price action. But what we know is, and there's no way around this, and it's not my opinion, it's nobody's opinion, it's just a fact. It's a big move, a counter trend move, because we're in a downtrend to a difficult level. So- Let's toggle for a second. Let's just go back because this is the socks, but I will tell you, having looked at it myself, this is an AMD chart as well. That yep. seemingly false breakout through the downtrend line that we just addressed. But then if you toggle again to the next you see a chart that is stopped on the downtrend line. And I will tell you, as Carter just said, that is exactly the AMD chart. And, you know, people say that this is a science. There's no science here. I mean, to a certain degree there is, but, you know, you're constantly adjusting. Consistency, as we used to say at Goldman Sachs, is a moving target. And that's what we're trying to do here. But I'm with you. I think you've this one is where, okay, maybe, you know, in a very short term, we might have missed a couple bucks, but I think, our work speaks for itself in terms of where these things should go. So I'm with you on this one. Continue to sort of walk me through because you have some more charts. Well, also long-term, right? It's all about your time frame. Sometimes you look short, sometimes you play short, sometimes you play long-term. We have some long-term charts of the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index. This is really the stunning thing. We know that you have your dot-com peak. And notice how it contended with that peak in 2017 for almost a year, 2018, and then finally broke out. Now, consider the next, which is a two panel. And this is really the stunner. That top panel is what we just looked at, right? That's all it is. The bottom panel is relative performance to the S&P. So despite since 2018 being above the dot-com peak, the semis could never actually make relative highs. They stop below their 1999 peak which is to say anyone who perchance owns the SOX index or some amalgamation of it since 99 is still shockingly, despite being up absolute, underperforming the S&P 500. It's pretty significant. You look at this, and again, I mean, this goes back quite some time. And this is really important to look at because it suggests, and just eyeballing it, SOX has a way to go on the downside. I mean, I don't think either one of us are saying this thing is going to collapse, but I mean, there's definitely more vulnerability to the downside, especially in an environment where valuations, again, getting into the fundamentals, valuations are a bit of concern. And so many of these names are expensive. AMD is not a cheap stock. NVIDIA is not a cheap stock, despite its sell-off over the last four or five months. A name like Qualcomm, you can make a reasonable argument for, but so many of these names are still expensive. And stands to reason that as again people get more and more concerned with valuations the names that will continue to underperform again in my opinion are names like these that's a great chart and i think it's important earnings this week 
Not a whole hell of a lot, but we're going to put up a slide and take a look. To me, the big one is Disney. I mean, wind's going to be interesting. I still think there's some definite tailwinds for wind, but Disney on Wednesday to me is one I think everybody's going to be watching for whatever reason. Is it a streaming thing? Are people going back to the parks? How are their movies doing? A lot of moving parts with Disney. What stands out to you, CB Dubs? Well, it is certainly bigger than these Roblox and Rivian, although those are prominent companies or on their way to being prominent companies. Disney acts well, I would just Mm -hmm. say it that way, going into earnings. And let's look at some charts and try to figure out what is coming. Now, is it a move above a downtrend line? Yes, that's been in effect for weeks. Another way to draw the lines would be to annotate and show that it has all the elements of a reversal formation. Doesn't matter whether you call it a head and shoulders bottom, but that's what reversals look like. And then if we put those two charts together, just to bring it all together, what we know is we have a substantial downtrend. We have something that has been basing and bottoming, and that is actually acting very well today in relation to a flat tape. I like Disney here. I think in terms of valuation for those that are interested in those things, it's about as cheap as the stock has been relative to itself in its history for quite some time. I mean, this is a stock that sort of peaked, I think at one point, trading north of 30 times. And now it's a bit of a you know high teenage, or it's called 1819, pretty much trading at a market multiple. And there's still a lot of things to like here. We'll see. I think you stayed long Disney in earnings. I mean, I've been wrong so many times. We'll see how it plays itself out. But I think it's been one of those things where you're going to get a surprise. And I think in terms of Disney, in line will be good enough and not a disaster in terms of guidance should be good enough as well. So I'm all eyes for me are on Disney on Wednesday. Disney, for those that care, is the D in my Dawn trade, which we put out last fall on Fast Money. Another question for you. This is from Jeff Kilmer. By the way, the same Jeff Kilmer that was breaking my chabonis about the Yankees. So Jeff, appreciate you watching. By the way, Jeff, I know you know this, but I'll just reiterate. Yankee fans get concerned in late September, October. Obviously, I don't like to see the Yankees swept ever, but it's just one of those things. I think it'll help galvanize the team. That's that, but that's not your question. Here it is, Carter. Great call on XRT and XBI. My question is, when do you start calling an end to their run? When do you think these things are over on the upside? Yes. So that is, let's start with conceptually. In principle, it's the hardest thing to do, how to cope with a good thing, right? Because if you're disciplined, you know when you have a bad thing, you get away from it, right? You're in a bad job, get away from it. You have a bad boss, you have a bad relationship, you have a bad stock. It's usually right to say, hey, I don't want this, I'm out of here. But when you have something that's good, you know, uh, do you stick with it? And then sometimes you overstay, like, what was I thinking? I, I had so much in the way of gains and now I've lost and I'm, well, I'm still up, but I've given up. Or how about the other times when you do do that, just when I'm saying, hey, we should trim it. And the thing then goes much higher. You're like, I can't believe I left all that money on the table. Coping with winners is the single hardest thing to do. And it's a fantastic question. Let me just say to you, uh, there is no perfect answer. What we can do is hedge, be cowardly. So you either sell calls, which is say, I kind of want to stay, but I'm a little bit concerned. Or you trim some. Mm-hmm. You don't have to act all in or out. I would trim some XBI and I would trim some XRT while retaining, you know, a position that allows you to participate if and as there's a bit more to go. Yeah, Jeff, one of the things that I say when I speak and, I've, you know, I've obviously been doing this quite some time, but 
hopefully this phrase makes sense. I know Carter will agree with this. Trade the stock. Don't let the stock trade you. And what does that mean? Well, for example, and just I'll use this as an example. You're long Disney at $95. You bought it a few weeks ago. And what's the right thing to do here as it continues to go higher? Well, maybe you sell a quarter of your position in earnings or a third of the position. Because what happens, that allows you to potentially buy that back if the company were to miss. Or if it continues to go higher, you still have a portion of your position. If you do nothing in these scenarios, and in the case of XBI or XRT, if the stocks go up for you, if the ETF goes up for you and do nothing, well, two days later, it's down 7%. What you'll wind up doing is this. And I know from experience, you say, well, shit, I can't sell it here. It was 7% higher two days ago. I'm just going to wait. And then what winds up happening is you're locked in. And then it's paralysis by analysis. And it, it does not allow you to trade. Now the stock is trading you instead of you trading the stock. Does that make sense, CB Dubs? It sure does. And it's always that thing which people say, the stock doesn't know that you own it, right? That's right. And you know, you'll love this. How many times I, I'll be in a, in a meeting, to be 14, 15 portfolio managers, in the room is 150 billion. And you'll say, hey, listen, I think this one's, I can't buy that one. Why not? I lost money on that one twice. What? Yeah. That stock doesn't know you owned it. I mean, just, you got to have a frictionless mind. It's very hard to do. We all make the same mistakes. But it's every day's fresh. Your cost base has nothing to do with anything. If its price action is constructive, it's exhibiting relative performance, it's usually right to stay and believe, if you will. And it's also right, as we know, to when trouble starts, don't ignore it. Just get out or hedge or do something. Do something. Be active. Be yep. proactive, not reactive. And I will tell you, I guarantee people have been playing market call bingo for quite some time. Nobody out there, zero people had frictionless mind. Just real quick, I want to add a couple things before we Audi 5000. Tesla today is going to be really interesting. Obviously had that big initial move to the upside, seemingly giving it back here. Just keep an eye on Tesla into that stock split that everybody seems to be all geeked up about. And gold, very quietly over the last week and a half, two weeks, has gotten off the mat and seemingly is going higher. I think, Carter, you did something on GDX and on Options Action on Friday. I didn't know you were going to do that, I, I think. My final mm -hmm. trade, I think, on Friday was GDX. I see a turn here to the upside quickly before we get out of here. 100%. And remember, you get more leverage out of the operating businesses than the commodities. So GDX or for the racy, go for GDXJ, where it's small cap and really levered. The junior miners, like I am junior to Dan Nathan Sr. By the way, those that have been pining for him, not Chris Pine, by the way, who is really a freakishly good-looking person, and I can say that because it happens to be true. Dan will be back tomorrow, fresh off his European vacation, specifically Italy, because quite frankly, if you go to Italy, you don't need to go to the rest of Europe. And yes, that's me talking, being half Italian, half Sicilian. But that's it for today's Market Call, peeps. Thanks for joining us, Carter. As always, you'll As be always. back on Wednesday. Love having you here. Thanks to our sponsor, FactSet. We are powered by Open Exchange. I am clearly powered by four cups of coffee. I'll see you later on Fast Money. Carter, see you later. See you later.